Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call.
As a continuation of our COVID response efforts from Q1, we stayed vigilant in sustaining hygiene and disinfection protocols, as well as adhering to social distancing guidelines. The vast majority of our employees continue to work from home, but for those that needed to come to one of our offices, our auction sites, or were visiting customers, they were provided with full personal protective equipment packages. We are taking every opportunity to reinforce safety protocols and guidelines at our town hall meetings, company communications, and local forums so we have a consistent and sustained drumbeat around health and safety. Second, a key focus area for us was to ensure our customers were receiving a world-class experience during these unprecedented times. With all of our auctions moving online, our digital platform and big data led the way. We coupled the platform with demand-driving digital marketing to deliver a very strong outcome for our customers. RBA.com saw a tremendous lift with online traffic up 44%, search conversions up 89%, new accounts up 109%, and online registrations up 81%. Our live sites also played an integral role in our second quarter results. Despite 100% of our auctions being held online, the sites allowed our customers a single place to bring products so we could take care, custody, and control on their behalf. Getting the equipment ready for sale, inspecting it, marketing the items, and finally closing the transaction. Furthermore, our sales professionals took their role as trusted advisors to a whole new level. Using our data analytics tools, now embedded in the Arbas product, to help our customers make the best decisions of what, when, and how to sell their products. These growth numbers and metrics punctuate the confidence that we are giving our customers in our ability to facilitate a two-sided marketplace and drive solid outcomes for buyers and sellers, even under these pandemic conditions. Finally, our third priority was to focus on the strength of our balance sheet and maintain our financial flexibility in very unpredictable times. Sharon will go through our balance sheet and liquidity insights in detail shortly, but I am very proud of the team's focus on cost control together with tremendous stewardship of our capital. We were able to leverage our balance sheet intelligently and mitigate risk while meeting the needs of our customers looking for liquidity via at-risk contracts. And now, over to Richie Brothers CFO, Sharon Driscoll. Thank you, Anne, and good morning, everyone. Despite very challenging pandemic-imposed operating conditions and coupled with cycling over a large non-recurring U.S. auction event in Columbus, Ohio, during Q2 of 2019, we were able to deliver 1.5 billion in GTV, equal to last year's GTV performance. This was a very positive outcome and a clear testament to the level of execution from all our employees across the enterprise. Our cautious tone going into the quarter was warranted, given the uncertain nature of the pandemic and potential operating challenges we faced resulting from movement restrictions of both people and equipment. And while we did experience some sizable headwinds due to COVID 
in our international region, the government sector, and in our Ritchie Brothers Financial Services business unit, we were also met with better-than-expected equipment supply with consigners actively seeking liquidity, primarily due to the depression in oil and gas prices and continued pressure within the transportation sector. As Anne mentioned, we managed our costs with a high degree of discipline and also experienced some incremental cost efficiencies as a result of our shift to online. Through this strong cost performance, we were able to generate significant operating leverage and deliver 10% earnings growth with adjusted earnings per share of 54 cents, together with operating income growth of 14% and a 24% year-to-date improvement in operating cash flow. To deliver this level of performance in this pandemic environment is just exceptional, and I could not be prouder of the entire team. Our U.S. team had a very strong quarter. Once again, both our regional and strategic accounts teams executed through uncertain market dynamics to deliver positive GTV growth across all channels and posted its strongest online quarter ever. This U.S. team delivered these results despite cycling the non-recurring $94 million Columbus, Ohio auction last year and softer GovPlanet business due to military-based closures. Normalizing for these two events, the U.S. team delivered mid-team levels of GTV growth. Underpinning the U.S. team's exceptional performance was higher sales team productivity, as all our U.S. divisions continued to build momentum and achieved improved performance against our internal stage targets. The Canadian team also delivered a remarkable quarter with solid positive GTV growth across all regions. Our Eastern Canada team drove strong growth led by transportation sector volume, the addition of the rescheduled Montreal auction from Q1, and solid growth in our Marketplace E format. Our agriculture team had a very strong quarter with the online hosting of 95 on-the-farm auctions plus two off-site events and the team received tremendous positive reception to the TAU or timed auction lot format. As a result of the strong performance using TAU, our agriculture team will be retaining the TAU format for the remainder of 2020. GTV in our international group was down significantly again in the quarter, but did show improvement over first quarter results. The majority of our international regions were still in various forms of lockdown or managing through border restrictions and the resulting quarantine implications, thus making equipment delivery in and out of our site challenging. All our live events have now transitioned to 100% online through our TAU offering, along with our Iron Planet and Marketplace e-solutions. The TAU solution is delivering a very positive buyer experience based on customer feedback and our ability to quickly pivot to 100% online has not only shown the international market our online capabilities, but proven that we can deliver exceptional price realization on this platform during these uncertain times. 
We are also seeing early signs of reaching a whole new type of customer, both buyers and sellers, as a result of utilizing the Tau solution, which is an encouraging sign and one we are monitoring closely. Overall, we continue to deliver positive operational metrics despite a reduction in the number of listed items resulting primarily from the government shutdowns and softer international volumes. Buyer demand metrics surged in the quarter with prices holding well in most categories. Our marketing team is doing an exceptional job of bringing buyers in and driving strong interest and participation across our global buyer base. Moving now to the financial highlights. Our total revenue decline of 1% was attributable to our inventory sales revenue being down 2%, partially offset by flat service revenue. Commission revenues decreased 7% on flat service GTV, primarily due to softer commission rate performance from a higher proportion of GTV sourced from strategic accounts and lower revenues from our government operations. Total fees were up 9%, driven primarily by the mix of small value lots, the harmonization of buyer fees, and higher fees from services within our U.S. operations, which was partially offset by fees we waived for Canadian on-the-farm auctions as part of our COVID-19 pandemic response. Operating income increased 14% to $89 million primarily related to lower cost of service expenses. These lower expenses were the result of changes we made to our operations due to COVID, which included our transition from live on-site auctions to 100% online bidding. Transitioning over to timed auction lot solutions for selected international and on-the-farm agricultural events and adhering to imposed travel restrictions. These operational changes resulted in significant cost reductions in employee compensation, travel, advertising, and promotion expenses. In addition, we incurred lower year-over-year referral fees, which are fees we pay out from time to time to third parties for referral business. Reported net income decreased 2% to $53 million primarily related to the increase in the effective tax rate due to a one-time $6.2 million tax adjustment, partially offset by the higher operating income and lower interest expenses in the quarter. On an adjusted basis, excluding the $6.2 million income tax expense in the quarter, our net income was up 9.7%. As a reminder, the one-time tax adjustment was primarily due to final regulations published on April 8th of 2020 by the United States Department of Treasury and the IRS that clarified the income tax treatment related to hybrid financing arrangements, which the company recorded in 2019 and in the first quarter of 2020, and that they would not be deductible. We had recorded income tax benefits of approximately $6.2 million in the 12 months ended December 31, 2019, and an additional $1.1 million in the three months ended March 31, 2020, which are no longer deductible. 
Turning to our auctions and marketplaces segment, service revenue was essentially flat in the quarter. On a regional basis, U.S. service revenues increased 5%, primarily due to an increase in fee revenue driven by the mix of small lots, the harmonization of buyer fees, higher volume of GTV, and inspection service fee revenues resulting from the increase in our online platform volume. The increase in fees was partially offset by lower commissions due to softer rate performance, driven by a higher proportion of services GTV sourced from strategic accounts and lower revenues from our government sector. Canada's service revenues were up 2%, primarily due to higher fee revenue driven by the buyer fee harmonization and higher total GTV, including the shift in the Montreal auction coming into Q2, partially offset by the waiving of the buyer fees for Canadian on-the-farm auctions as they move to the TAL format. Our international service revenue decreased 33%, primarily due to lower commissions and fees on lower overall services GTV. The lower total GTV was due to softness in the international region, driven by pandemic-related equipment mobility issues due to lockdowns and general economic uncertainty. On a rate basis, our auctions and marketplaces service revenue rate came in at 13.4%, which was essentially flat to last year. Moving on to our auctions and marketplaces segment inventory sales revenue. The 2% decline in our inventory sales revenue was primarily driven by cycling over non-repeating large inventory deals in the U.S. during Q2 of 2019 and lower sales of government surplus inventory due to COVID-related government shutdowns. While our U.S. region inventory sales were down 18%, primarily due to last year's Columbus event and this year's GovPlanet declines, our Canadian and total international region's inventory sales revenue was notably up 43% and 11% respectively over last year. On a rate basis, our implied rate of return on inventory deals in the quarter was 7.7%, which was up over 200 basis points better than our second quarter of 2019. Each of our major regions posted strong positive year-over-year rate growth, with our Canadian business leading the way with over 900 basis points of improvement, partially offset by lower GovPlanet rate performance. Our at-risk portfolio of business continues to be active, and we are very pleased with the overall performance during the quarter where we faced unprecedented uncertainty as we were pricing and underwriting guarantee and inventory purchase contracts. We have done an exceptional job of finding that right balance to support our sellers in search of downside risk protection while applying appropriate rigor in our valuations to mitigate our risk. Moving on to SG&A expenses. As we continue to operate in this unpredictable environment, we have continued to rigorously manage our costs across the company and actively manage our expenses as we apply company-wide efforts to control discretionary spending where possible. 
Overall, our SG&A increased 3%, primarily driven by higher incentive compensation based on our stronger operating performance, together with a special one-time bonus accrual we took in the quarter earmarked to recognize frontline employees for their above and beyond efforts to keep our business running and continuing to look after our customers without missing a beat. Partially offsetting those increases were lower overall operating costs. The pandemic has undoubtedly resulted in lower expenses in the form of reduced travel and entertainment costs, as well as other operating expenses, as the majority of our employee base is still working from home. Excluding the higher incentive compensation, special bonus, and share-based compensation elements, our SG&A declined 5.6% versus last year. Keep in mind, some of these costs are expected to come back over time, as we are a sales organization. And when it is safe to do so, our sales team will be back on the road, developing and nurturing customer relationships that have been and will continue to be integral to our success as a trusted advisor. We are pleased with our overall expense discipline during this period of uncertainty and will continue to apply a high level of diligence as we manage our cost structure and day-to-day expense management going forward. Our disciplined capital allocation continues to be the cornerstone for our ability to navigate the current macroeconomic challenges. We remain confident that we have sufficient liquidity and access to capital to not only weather this health and economic crisis, but to invest and strengthen our company for the long term. Our strong second quarter cash flow generation and disciplined capital allocation enabled us to strengthen our capital structure. At the end of the second quarter, we had $538 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash, in addition to available credit facilities of $640 million, of which $470 million was unused at the end of the quarter. We continue to be comfortably within our debt covenant thresholds and don't have any material debt maturities until October of 2021. Our Treasury team has already started the process of renewing our existing revolving credit facility and term loan with the intention of extending the maturity by a further two years, and we expect to close on this agreement at some point in August. Our capital allocation priorities in this environment are still focused on disciplined cash management and investing wisely to support our business operations while continuing to prioritize our dividends and, where appropriate, offsetting dilution with share repurchases. Given our strong capital and liquidity position, we are very pleased today to announce a 10% increase to our dividend, raising our quarterly dividend to $0.22, underscoring the board's and management's confidence in continuing cash flow generation and our commitment to rewarding shareholders through dividend growth. Also, as announced yesterday, our Board of Directors authorized a share repurchase program for the repurchase of up to $100 million worth of common shares of the company over the next 12 months, subject to exchange approvals. Finally, at the end of the second quarter, 
our adjusted net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio was 0.9 times, continuing to be well inside our target ceiling of 2.5 times. We are now through the second quarter under the pandemic conditions and continue to believe that we are well positioned with a strong balance sheet and liquidity position to navigate a multitude of economic scenarios and we plan to maintain our disciplined approach to investing capital to enhance the long-term value of our company. Turning to our balance sheet and liquidity metrics, our operating cash flow of $198 million for the six months ended June 30th improved 24% over last year. The improvement was driven by higher net income and improvements in working capital partially offset by changes in inventory levels and the timing of auctions versus Q2 of last year. On a trailing 12-month basis, our operating free cash flow increased 112% to $349 million, which is the highest level of free cash in the second quarter in the history of our company. Our year-to-date CapEx spend of $19.3 million is currently tracking within our full range estimate for 2020 of 35 to $45 million. We continue to focus our capital spend on supporting our technology programs and essential property investments. Lastly, our return on invested capital measure of 10.1% is showing good improvement from 8.3% in Q2 of last year. As a reminder, as we stated during our Q1 earnings call pre-COVID-19, we were on track to achieve our stated evergreen ROIC target of 15% by the end of 2021. However, with our priority shifting to preserving optionality in this dynamic period and maintaining access to cash and capital we can no longer commit that this target will be achieved during this timeframe. To conclude my remarks, I would like to thank our entire Ritchie Brothers Global team for their enduring commitment to serving our customers. Our frontline teams have demonstrated tremendous heart and character as they have gone above and beyond to support our customers at these difficult times. And our people, enabled with technology, are the reason why we have been able to deliver such stellar operating performance for the quarter. With that, let me turn the call back to Anne. Thank you, Sharon. We are excited to continue our journey of delivering a true global omni-channel marketplace for products and services. It is through a customer lens with which we view our business. Using our data analytics, to advise not only asset valuation, but optimize timing of sales. Offering liquidity solutions, which span listings, reserved auctions, and unreserved auction platforms to meet our customers' needs. And service offerings, which span data and analytics and include critical elements of product care, custody, and control to facilitate the best value creation for our customers. Before I close out the prepared remarks, I would like to share some considerations on our third quarter. From a priority standpoint, they remain unchanged from Q2 as we stay focused on the health and safety of our employees and customers, continue to improve and optimize our customer experience, 
and maintain our advantage position by continuing to focus on our balance sheet and strong liquidity positions. As we look forward, we are taking a balanced approach as the pandemic will undoubtedly continue to cloud the outlook. And while we see a number of upside opportunities, we need to be considerate of the uncertainty and risks as well. From an opportunity standpoint, we are coming out of Q2 executing well, and July is off to a strong start. Auction comps are coming in well versus last year, including the addition of four auctions in July that shifted from Q2 last year into Q3 this year, plus a new Mordite Netherlands auction this year, which didn't occur in July of 2019. We are also seeing positive improvements in our international region's ability to move equipment across jurisdictions, and we are optimistic we will see further improvement in our international performance. But we are aware that any resurgence in the virus could quickly close things down again. Additionally, consigners are focused on cash flow and inventory management, which should continue to drive liquidity needs. We are also watching for both timing and magnitude of potential for government stimulus packages to begin driving infrastructure spend, as well as the potential that consigners currently taking a wait and see approach could decide to act in terms of equipment dispersals and fleet realignment. Looking at some of the factors that are driving the risks or uncertainty, we are very mindful of the surge in new COVID cases in the US and there is a risk broadly that things can take a step back and restrictions may be reinstated in the U.S. and potentially in other jurisdictions globally. Also, we may see a negative impact on equipment financing with recovery taking a longer duration. Lastly, we continue to carefully monitor any potential changes in the sentiment which could impact equipment demand and soften the current pricing environment as we progress through the quarter. All in all, there are a number of puts and takes, but we remain cautiously optimistic about the near term. We will continue to focus on those things that are within our control and look to build off of Q2 results. In closing, I want to once again thank our employees for their dedication and hard work in delivering a very strong quarter and serving our customers safely. With that, operator, please open the line to questions. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. First question comes from Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Thanks very much and good morning. Um, so strategically, these results would seem to beg the question of whether Ritchie Brothers can move more of the business online permanently and retain some of the current cost efficiencies without sort of losing the community and crowd atmosphere of the live auctions that I think has been an important part of the franchise over time. So just curious to get your early thoughts on that. Hi, Sherilyn. This is uh, Anne. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, hoping everybody's staying safe out there. Uh, uh, we are super proud of the results the team has achieved and are um, really monitoring the balance of the live experience as well as the online experience. So 
So just to kind of reiterate uh, a point we made during the last call, 100% of the auctions have shifted online, uh, and our secret all along had been that we were a digital company. That said, our live sites continue to be busier than ever, uh, taking care, custody, and control uh, of the equipment so we can get re ready to, for sale, um, inspect it, market it for our customers, and obviously then realize uh, the highest possible value for them during the online transaction. So we're really taking this opportunity as customers get more and more used to uh, the actual transaction happening online, reevaluate the entire live experience, first and foremost through the customer lens, the employee lens, as well as any operational efficiencies to be gained over the long term. Uh, I think as Sharon said in the beginning, uh, we are a sales first organization uh, and, uh, you know, we are benefiting from 60 years of relationships and investments our sales organization has made with our customer base. Uh, like any relationship, uh, those will require a reinvestment over time, uh, and we will continue to do those prudently uh, when it's safe to do so. Okay. And then you did make reference in your comments to lower fees paid to an unrelated party who makes referrals on large dispersals of equipment. That was new to me. Uh, I was just hoping to get some color on those arrangements. Uh, so, Sherilyn, that, um, it's Sharon here. Um, that particular comment related to um, the large deal that we did a year ago, um, we do frequently go into partnership-type agreements or referral type arrangements, um, particularly on large insolvency deals, where there are aspects to the closeout of that business uh, that we can't handle. Uh, so that that really was um, not totally unusual, but it was a, a, a larger amount than normal a year ago, just simply because of the one transaction that basically seeded that uh, Columbus, Ohio event. Okay, that's helpful. I'll get back in queue. Thank you for the time. Next question comes from Craig Kennison with Baird. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for taking my question. Kind of a follow-up to the prior question, but I'm curious how you think of your moat and uh, going forward. With the shift to online activity, do you think that accrues to your moat and your differentiation? And, and in some ways, do you think that this pandemic might um, – I guess, uh, widen that mode over time. Hi, Craig. Uh, yeah, we are uh, super proud of our platform. We can call it a moat. Um, and really the omni-channel nature of what we do uh, is being showcased uh, during COVID. So let me explain what I meant uh, by that statement and the fact that, yes, to your question, that will only continue. Um, so we allow customers what I would call the best of both worlds. There's an online transaction experience, and to uh, remind uh, folks on the phone, Iron Planet had always been fully online for the transactions. Ritchie Brothers, even before uh, COVID, was two-thirds online. So our pivot had more to do with going from that two-thirds, taking it to 100%, and that was more about back-end technology systems being able to handle the bandwidth, the load, and really driving demand uh, to a level we've never seen before in terms of online. 
in terms of our operations, uh, there's always been a balance of live and online. And the live sites are, during COVID, proving more important than ever before for our customers with the need to provide liquidity so quickly they're desperate for an opportunity to kind of drop their products off with us, knowing we've got it. We've got the optimum care custody and control for them. We'll take the product. We will uh, spiff it up when it needs it. Uh, we will inspect it properly. We will market it properly. Uh, and we will extract, uh, you know, the best value for them where that's needed. Uh, in terms of is that a moat, uh, we certainly believe so, and the uh, early uh, performance would indicate that, uh, you know, it is being very well received by our customer base and they're, they're getting the optimum value for what we provide. Uh, and similarly, it gives us, uh, you know, the wherewithal to continue those investments, to continue to drive that performance and the experience higher and higher, um, both in the digital landscape as well as providing uh, the best care, custody, and control of the product itself. Thank you. And then uh, could you comment on RB Asset Solutions? How is that product evolving and what does your adoption curve look like today? Are you satisfied with it? Yeah, so we are uh, we are very, very excited about uh, uh, Richie Brothers Asset Solutions. So um, the way to think about where we are in that journey, anytime you're inventing, right, we go through phases. Uh, initially, our plan was to have uh, 15 accounts in which we kind of proved the value of, you know, what does big data, what is analytics, what do insights bring to our customers. Uh, we are now uh, over 80 such accounts uh, in terms of demand of customers is super strong, um, and we are viewing it as a long-term platform first and foremost, to provide customers with critical data and analytics they need to drive their business, uh, and then ultimately to use it as a platform by which to provide other services, some of which we're currently in the business of today, uh, and some that would that will come along um, because only the technology platform can facilitate them uh, coming into being. So we are super excited and moving uh cautiously and appropriately from the invention phase of RBAS beginning a scaling phase of RBAS. Thank you. I'll get back in the queue. Next question comes from Michael Dume with Scotiabank. Hey, good morning. Um, great quarter. Um, just wondering if you guys could elaborate on the increased um, GTV momentum exiting Q2. And <laughs> this has always been a business that's you know, getting apples to apples comparison is difficult due to the shift in the auction calendar. So I'm, I'm assuming you saw consistent momentum in the weekly and, and daily auctions. Just wondering if you're seeing, um, or what type of momentum you're seeing on the on-site auctions, um, and if that's more pronounced from region to region. Um, and any numbers would be helpful. Yes, Michael. So uh, very, very proud of the business. And certainly uh, the $1.5 billion GTV headline uh, is a very strong outcome, uh, but we need to unpack it to really explain what's happening uh, under the surface and put it into context. So the first thing is we cycled a very large non-recurring uh, Columbus event, as Sharon stated uh, earlier in the call. 
Uh, and we had significant headwinds in our international business, uh, as well as in our government business with base closures, uh, both of, this, of which were obviously out of our control. So if you peel that back, the U.S. business, net of those effects, was up very healthy uh, mid-digits uh, year on year in terms of GTV uh, and uh, North America in general just saw an incredible, incredible amount of momentum. Uh, strong demand, confidence from the consigners, uh, and kind of a digital and live experience, that magic of the two that really facilitated that uh, from happening, as well as the very, very strong at-risk performance specifically notably in our Canadian and international business kind of came together to provide that 1.5 billion, but in these unique pieces uh, where the headline really doesn't tell the story of what happened underneath. So we are you know, incredibly proud uh, of what the organization was able to achieve. And then on international GTV, I mean, just given the backdrop, I would think that there are a number of consigners um, who at least have the desire to sell down equipment um, you know, as you mentioned, border restrictions, um, obviously an obstacle. I mean, is the story there that equipment supply is pent up um, or have you seen consigners go through other channels, maybe disposing assets through more local channels? Carl, you want to, I think Carl's on the line with us. So hard when you can't see the people in person. If you are, uh, you want to comment? Yep. Sure. This is Carl Warner. Um, we are seeing a bit of pinup supply. We're not seeing it move to other channels right now, but as, as you noted, the lockdowns, border closures, travel restrictions have been much more intense uh, than in North America. But uh, the, the good news is Q1 appears to be our, you know, our low water mark for international. Uh, Q2 was better, as Ann noted, um, and, and Q3 and Q4, we're, we're seeing that start to loosen up. Okay, great, guys. Uh, great quarter again. Thanks for the answers. Appreciate it. Next question comes from Scott Frompson with CIBC. Thanks, and uh, good morning. Just a uh, follow-up question on RBS at Solutions. Are you seeing increases in uh, customer activity levels uh, in, in the use of the services, uh, as well as uh, interest from uh, potential customers? Hi, Scott. Anne again, and uh, hoping Matt Ackley, our uh, yep. chief market officer, and the uh, you know the most passionate about our best, wants to answer that. Right. Yeah. No, Scott. Um, we, we are, and and one of the ways we we measure that is assets under management. Uh, so we're seeing an increase of that. We currently have uh, over one million assets under management in the inventory management system, uh, which is really the key to the RB Asset Solutions platform. Uh, in addition, we also monitor the number of assets that, that we say get workflowed into our marketplaces, uh, and we're seeing an increase in that activity as well. It was up over uh, 10,000 uh, assets year to date. So that is uh, in addition to users who, who start to use some of our various tools that we've layered in to RB Asset Solutions, such as our new pricing tools, which we which we've uh, introduced some beta products in, in, in Q2, we really start to measure the assets under management and how they're flowing to the, to the various marketplaces. So 
it sounds like you're uh, working on expanding the uh, the services on the platform. What kind of capital investment would that uh, come with, please? So I think it would be. Yeah. So it's Sharon here. Um, you know, certainly um, it's technology-based investment. Um, you know, it's relatively light spend because the base and the foundation is is there. And uh, certainly is already included in our uh, current guidance range on overall capex spending for the year. Perfect. Uh, I'll just close off with one quick uh, question on uh, financial health of your buyer and seller customers. Can you comment on the trends you're seeing both through uh, Q2 and uh, Q3? In other words, have you changed? Have you seen a change in in their their financial health? So um, if, I share. I'm sorry, sure. Go ahead, Sharon. Okay, so Sharon, I'll start, and then others can add color. Um, you know, I think clearly in the regions that are affected by the downturn in oil prices, um, we are seeing an acceleration of distress, albeit at this time under COVID conditions. Um, what we're seeing with banks is they're not necessarily applying pressure yet to force uh, distress sales. Um, but they certainly, uh, we certainly do expect that that could be coming, um, and that is, you know, we did experience some uh, slowdown in performance inside of our own Ritchie Brothers financial service business, and really what we saw is the syndicate of banks in the background that support that business unit. Um, it put up more administrative-type roadblocks which affected our overall ability uh, for ease and convenience and speed in that, uh, in that sector. Um, so I do think we are starting to see an escalation of distress, um, but we have not yet seen banks uh, take firm action. And I presume that would uh, feed into your insolvency disposition pipeline. Uh, yes, it would. Great. Thanks very much. Next question comes from Ben Chernevsky with Raymond James. Morning, guys. Morning, Ben. Hey, Ben. Um, I wanted to ask uh, about, um, well, first of all, just to try to get a little more clarity on the nature of the, you know, quite dramatic increase in, in profits. Um, because, if you know, the GTV was flat. Uh, which, uh, you know, in the context of the market was, uh, was an accomplishment. And that was, you know, very good performance. Nevertheless, it wasn't, it wasn't the source of increased profit per se. Um, the same with, uh, I would say the same with the, um, the revenue mix was, was the same. The revenue itself was the same. The revenue mix was the same. Uh, GNA was actually up a little bit. So it seems to me that it really all came down to, um, well, your inventory performance was a little better, but really the cost of services, and I suppose what you used to call the direct expenses, were way lower. Um, first of all, Sharon, is that, like, I know there were a lot of puts and takes, and the commentary was, was very helpful, understanding the various levers, but is that really what was the main driver here uh, of the increase in the profit? Um, yeah, so clearly I, I'd say there's two real things that drove it. First, um, kind of forced 
uh, reductions in spending. So we were operating under distancing rules. Um, you had a very limited attendance, um, and you know, you know, we did allow customers on site to inspect the days leading up to auction, but we didn't have anyone in the theater. Um, you know, we were basically manning uh, customer queries and questions all online, all over telephones, as opposed to in-person support. You know, and you know, we didn't ramp the equipment. Um, we didn't put on the theater component of the uh, of the events. Um, so that's probably one driver of of the spend reduction. Um, a second element would have been the lack of travel. So the restriction movement uh, basically, um, you know, minimize the amount of spend that you could have in terms of uh, people moving from one place to the other. Um, you know, and I think then the other thing we did call out in that cost of services bucket was the lack of a referral fee uh, that was related to last year's um, large deal in Columbus. Um, but clearly, what I think you're also seeing is in the U.S. business, um, that large volume increase really speaks to the flow-through operational profit potential of our business. Um, because not only do you get um, the coverage on those cost of services that you could not spend, um, you get that full advantage of that business performance against our SG&A performance. And so that all combined is what really has led to the operating margin lift, in my view. Um, okay, that's helpful. But just to clarify on the travel expenses, because you break out travel in the SG&A disclosure, and it does show a, a pronounced decrease, but are there travel expenses that go direct to uh, that go into the direct expenses of the auction if it's related to a specific event? Is there a separate cost that was lower in that component of it as well? Yes, you'd have travel expenses in both buckets if we have part-time ringman or part-time bid catchers, and they're moving from event to event. Um, they did not move. So SG&A travel is only picking up the travel associated with our full-time employee base, not our contractors and uh, and part-time workers. Okay. Well, sorry, I'm just not to belabor it, but I'm I'm a little surprised, and maybe I'd be curious on whether or not you guys were surprised by how much cost savings, or at least how many how much costs were related to running those auctions. I mean, you, as you point out, you still have to have a yard. Everyone still inspects. You need on-site access. You need to lay the yard out efficiently, et cetera, et cetera. By not by simply not hosting an event and having a bid catcher and running things over the ramp, is that is it really that pronounced on on the cost side? Because I'm just trying to understand if the model does migrate more to in that direction, how much of a lift you get versus you know the other things like reduced travel that's going to come back and uh, referral fees and things that were sort of maybe more one-time in nature in the quarter. Ben, this is Ann. Uh, so fantastic questions, and we're evaluating that right now. So I just want to take your question into two parts. So one is, were we surprised? Surprised, you know, would indicate kind of it happened, you know, kind of to us. And I think as Sharon said, 100% of, you know, COVID happened to us, but how we reacted, uh, the rigor with which we controlled costs across the buckets, 
uh, was 100% a testament to the team understanding the uncertain nature of the environment we were going to be operating in and the fact that they needed to do their part <clears throat> across the globe to ensure that we stay very financially viable and healthy, really to support our customers. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think you're, you're getting at the question that Sherilyn kind of asked a little bit in the beginning as well, which is around, you know, how much of this is sustainable? And we are going through that evaluation right now uh, as we take the learnings from COVID. So obviously our business starts and stops with the customer experience. And we are evaluating the gamut of that experience, starting with obviously the relationships with our sales professionals, but then taking it all the way through every element, if you will, of our operations. So whether it's, you know, how equipment is dropped off, you know, at the sites, whether it's how it's inspected, uh, the pickup procedures, everything, one element of which is the live auction itself, as you know and Sharon spoke to, uh, not an insignificant element, but it's just one element of our live sites and, and the purpose they serve. Obviously, with um, the, the flip 100% to online, it allows us a very clean way to look at each of those levers and understand what they mean. Uh, but we are very much in evaluation phase right now, understanding which of those uh, actually come out of COVID are truly ones that we can take to the bottom line and which ones are, you know, investments we need to make back uh, into, for example, the relationships with our, uh, with our uh, sellers and buyers. So uh, we, we, we're not being coy here. We are very much in the thick of the evaluation. Well, that's a, that's a good answer. And if I could squeeze one more in, just because, you know, your your timing uh, was very uh, uh, well unique to come coming to Ritchie Brothers, and you know earlier you quipped, it's hard to uh, it's hard when you can't see someone in the room. Um, what's it been like for you to try to get a sense of of the Ritchie Brothers people, hearts and minds, if you will, and as you sort of size up the culture and and where you want to take this business, you know, from a, a Zoom screen. What, how has that uh, made your, 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 your assessment uh, more difficult or maybe easier? I don't know. Yeah, Ben, so uh, as you know, I started in, in uh, January, so I think I had a solid 10 weeks under my belt uh, before uh, borders shut down. Uh, I will tell you, though, uh, uh, Richie Brothers is a jam-packed, action-packed place. So in the 10 weeks, I got a chance to spend quite a bit of time, obviously, in our Burnaby office, in our Pleasanton office, at our Orlando auction with our employees and customers in Vegas. These were, you know, kind of jam-packed, uh, you know, full-tilt events. And I'm so grateful I had that because it gave me a bird's-eye view. Uh, about what we do, how we do it, but really the passion that our employees have uh, for the customer and the business. Um, honestly, it is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Uh, for me, the words I've used with our board of directors is magical. Uh, this is a magical business made up of people whose hearts, whose minds are customer first, business first, wanting to be there at all times and all things with our customers. So my my sat, my personal sadness has been uh, coming out of uh, Vegas 
uh, Carl Warner, our head of international, and I were about to set off on our kind of global tour, if you will, so that I could have spent more in-person time with our uh, international team. Uh, and then uh, my one of my that's my very favorite thing to do is spend time with our team. And then a close second or maybe a first is spending time with our customers, which again I was only able to do briefly uh, in Orlando and Vegas and haven't been able to do in person. So then everything has transitioned to Zoom. Uh, and you know I'm grateful the technology has been there, so they could put a name to a face as could I. But I am uh, you know anxious to be able to meet people face-to-face, share a meal, and really thank them for the magic that is this business from our employees, our team members, and our customers. Okay. Thanks very much, and uh, good quarter. Thank you. Next question comes from Michael Finnegar with Bank of America. Yes, thanks for uh, squeezing me in and and taking my call. I mean, can we just uh, level set on, on the big picture, the, the addressable market for used equipment transactions is massive. Over the years, investors have doubted if you could really penetrate this, this market, if there's a risk of cannibalization. But in this call, you mentioned a few times that you're seeing some new customers uh, with, with some of your initiatives. So in the last few months, you must have learned a lot about pain points with certain channels, the competitive landscape, push and pull factors on why someone is selling a piece of equipment online to another channel or just a private sale. So just based on what you've observed in Q2 and some of those June metrics you shared, are you bringing in a lot of new customers? Do you believe you're finally penetrating some areas that, that Richie struggled with over the years um, you know, with, with everything that's taking place? So, Michael, uh, hi, it's Anne again. Uh, so absolutely, the TAM is uh, very large, as you say, uh, something that obviously uh, I, the board shared with me, uh, you know, even in early days of me learning about the business, uh, and we have ascertained since then. Uh, let me just give you some headlines of the things we're seeing. So undoubtedly, uh, through this uh, pandemic and the shift online, we are seeing quite a bit more end customer um, uh, penetration than we've ever seen before. So uh, they're not new to industry, they're new to us. Uh, and, you know, as a result, obviously, uh, you know, growing the base uh, in terms of the buyer side, and you see it with the stats that I quoted uh, early on in the prepared remarks when you see the number of new accounts, so on and so forth. Um, in terms of pain points, I would say this is where us stepping back and really understanding the role of the live sites where uh, maybe arguably in the past, they were um, linked with the live event. And our ability to decouple that and really think through the benefit that a live site offers the customer, again, much more about the care, custody, and control uh, of their equipment, uh, which is something unique uh, to Ritchie Brothers and uh, that the uh, the organization does uniquely well. So this time has given us an opportunity to really understand that, take that to the next level. And as a result, we see our sites uh, busier than before. I will give you one example of how that has uh, really come to life during this COVID environment that maybe we wouldn't have seen. And that is that we, uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, did a Northeast sale where we brought together uh, several sites from the Northeast, including, you know, Maryland, Pittsburgh, Connecticut. Um, 
and we did an online kind of Northeast sale. We had never done that before. So the technology, so there's a couple of messages here. The technology allowed us to bring that together seamlessly. Okay, so that's all about platform. And then, uh, again, that drew a, a buyer base and a seller base because we were able to bring a scale of supply and demand we wouldn't have done before. So then that drove really a fantastic outcome uh, for buyers and sellers. And then similarly, the sites themselves in Pittsburgh, Maryland, and Connecticut were very busy uh, because customers were, you know, once they knew the magnitude of, uh, of what was about to happen in the supply and demand side, with the help of our sales professionals that really acted as those trusted advisors, used the sites to drop equipment, we would, you know, get it ready for sale, we would market it, uh, and then the amount of demand for kind of coming in, kicking the tires, really uh, was very, very high and forced us to use technology to keep customers safe and our employees safe through scheduling and doing those things in a very different way and social distancing than we've ever done before. I highlight that event to say it really is the truest manifestation of this omni-channel platform. When we say the words, it's often overused. Uh, but in our case, um, it is really an exceptional uh, go-to-market uh, and, and uh, solution for customers that, that anybody has. I think earlier uh, somebody said the word moat, Craig, and um, I would say that's, that's it. And then uh, the last piece, and this is the one, that we're not, we're, we're just kind of starting uh, tip of the iceberg is this RBAS and data and utilizing the data to drive the underlying events. Again, in the case of any event, but specifically the Northeast example that I used, uh, we, we use the, the data and analytics to know uh, what to do, how to advise our customers and how to drive demand. But then the product itself, the RBAS platform, the inventory management system therein allows that to become more and more uh, of a tool that customers can use both for their own benefit, which is first and foremost our goal, but then also eventually to either partake of our uh, services or flow their equipment you know, through our various channels that we provide for them. So in fact, uh, full circle to your question, very long answer from me, we, we believe the TAM is significant and our ability to penetrate it has really uh, showcased during this environment um, and will continue to get better. Uh, you know, uncertainty of COVID is a real thing. And so, you know, that's why we say we're cautious. We're cautious because many of these things are out of our control. Uh, the things in our control, we are very proud of the way the team has stepped up, the technology has delivered, and uh, we are we're excited about what's to come, although cautious, you know, about COVID. Thank you, and thanks for that, that thoughtful answer. I guess just, just lastly, um, on the underwriting, it ticked up a little bit, and I, I'm curious how you're viewing the underwriting. Um, you know, right now people need liquidity, but Richie does have a track record of, you know, every year, year and a half, you can get caught off sides, especially if we start to see some, you know, liquidations, dispersals. So I'm, I'm curious how you're thinking of, of managing that going forward. Um, especially as we're kind of in this uncertain backdrop like you just mentioned. I believe we have Doug Olive with us and, and uh, Sharon, actually. Yeah, so I'd Thanks, say, Michael. Doug, why don't you take, take yeah. the lead? 
Sure. Thanks, Michael. Uh, we do see a lot of opportunities coming at us right now, for sure. And uh, with our with the data we have, we've been fortunate. We had a real nice uh, run through through Q2. Um, we're being cautious, like anything else. To Anne's point, um, we don't know what's what's down the road. So we're looking each in, in each uh, opportunity that comes at us. We're looking at independently what what to make up of the deals, what uh, where is the ge- geography of the deals and making sure that we do our uh, thorough investigation of, of such um, to, to end up in a place that's um, mutually benefit both for, for the consigner and ourselves. Thank you. At this time, I will turn the call over to Mr. Milani. Thanks, Sharon, and thank you everyone for joining us today on our call. Uh, Please continue to stay safe, and we look forward to speaking with you again in November at our Q3 earnings call. That concludes our call for today. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.